You are listening to Haftorah, the Shear series. We explore the connections between the Parsha Shavua and its corresponding Haftorah. And here at the database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, this week's Parsha is Parsha's Nusso, and the Haftorah comes to us from Sefer Shoftim. This is the second time that we are opening up Shoftim as a Haftorah. The first time was the week of Parsha's Peshalach, otherwise known as Shabbos Shira, where we discussed the Haftorah of Shiras Devorah, the Song of Devorah. And... That was a story much earlier in Shoftim, and I believe this Haftarah is the second of three times in total that we find Shoftim as a Haftarah. The next time, I believe, will be for Parshas Chukas, the story of Yiftach HaGiladi. But in the meantime, we're going to be looking at the story of Shimshon, a man who is sometimes known as Shimshon HaGibor. Now, the reason why this name is ironic is that nowhere in Tanakh do we find Shimshon referred to as Shimshon the Gibor, Shimshon the Mighty. Um, there might be some sources in Chazal, there's a, um, an obscure medrash, I believe a pesikta out there that refers to him as a gibor. But it's just funny because there are several other individuals in Tanakh that are referred to as a gibor. Could be Yiftach might actually be one of them. Um, I think Gidon might be referred to as a gibor. But Shimshon is not one of the ones that's referred to as a gibor in Tanakh. But we will be discussing the origin story, the backstory of Shimshon HaGibor in this very interesting Haftarah. Um, Haftarah whose connections to our Parsha, um, they might seem direct at first glance, but we're going to see there are some loose ends that need to be tied up. Now, you may be wondering, based on the title, if, I, if that grabbed your attention, the, you know, the clickbait title of what does Nusso have to do with the NFL, or what does the NFL have to do with our Parsha? So I'll let the cat out of the bag right now. That it has nothing to do with football, unless you want to make a very um, loose stretch of a connection. Um, but we're going to be talking about the NFL, the Nazir for life. That was Shimshon. So Shimshon indeed was a Nazir. We're going to see not just from for, for his entire life, but even from his conception, even pre-birth, somehow he was a Nazir. A very unique application of Nazir, as we're going to see, an application that seems to bear v- very little relevance to our Parsha. So we'll talk all about that after I dedicate the Shir, So once again, the Haftarah comes from Shoftim. It's Perak Yud Gimel, Psukim, based through Chavhei. So that is 13, 2 to 25. And let's talk about our Parsha and our Haftarah. So Parsha's Nasso deals with a few different topics, such as the assignments of the Levium, the laws of Sota, and of course, Nazir, which we'll talk a little bit about. And it talks about the tributes of the Nesim, or the princes of Klal Yisrael, among other topics. However, the Haftarah, which is taken from Shofim, clearly is zeroing in on one subject, and that is the subject of Nazir, as this piece of Navi, again, deals with the origin story of Shimshon, who was, for sure, hands down, the most famous Nazir in all of Tanakh. Now, the Nazir, at least... The prototype Nazir, as we're taught, is an individual who makes a temporary pledge of abstinence from wine, ritual impurity, and even haircuts, all for the sake of getting closer to Hashem. However, Shimshon, as we're going to see, was no ordinary Nazir, not by any stretch. The story goes that the barren wife of Manoach is met by an angel of Hashem who tells her that she's going to conceive a child who's going to become a shofate or a judge for the Bnei Israel to lead them out of their oppression at the hands of the Plishtim. But there is a catch. That catch is that this child must become a Nazir for his whole life. And again, not just from birth, but from his conception. Thus, the Malach tells Manoach's wife that she herself must abstain from wine and impurities for the duration of her pregnancy. And that is about as much of the story that has to do with being a Nazir. The bulk of the story 
deals with Manoach's curious and slightly skeptical response to his wife's news about the encounter with the Malach. Ultimately, Manoach meets this mysterious angel himself and confirms that that which his wife had told him is true. And although Manoach, even at that point, was still not yet sure this individual was in fact an angel, when the Malach sent Manoach's carbon up in a fire, and he himself, the angel, disappears in that fire miraculously, without a trace, only then does Manoach understand that this individual was in fact an angel. Now, Manoach fears for his life, and then while, meanwhile, his wife is reassuring him and suggesting that they just follow the Malach's instructions, and then the Haftarah closes out with the birth of Shimshon. There's the story, and here is the problem. Most of the story has little to do with Parshas Naso. The only parallel is the very fact that the story features a Nazir, and yet we've already explained that, number one, Parshas Naso discusses way more than just the Nazir, and secondly, Shimshon's unique status as a Nazir does not even reflect the prototypical Nazir that is described in Nasso. If, if you look at Shimshon, you would not see the Nazir described in our parsha, and that is because the rules that Shimshon had to follow were very different. And beyond that, number three, as we've mentioned again, and I'll mention again, that the rest of the story, I should say the main body of the story, is not really about Shimshon. It's about Menoch's discovery that this angel was the real deal. A wonderful and perhaps important story for the Navi to record, but seemingly completely irrelevant for our Haftarah. So the question is, what is the fundamental and thematic relationship between the origin story of Shimshon and Parshas Naso? Or is the only connection that we have is just the fact that we feature a Nazir and making our connection a somewhat loose connection? Now, a separate question that we ought to ask, at least on the story itself, is why exactly Shimshon had to become this NFL, this Nazir for life? Meaning, in the first place, why did the angel give this instruction? Oh, by the way, your son's going to be a Nazir. Like, do we, have, do we have a precedent for that anywhere else? Like, what, what is the reason for all this? Now, we pointed out that this obvious difference between the, 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 the Nazir that Shimshon was and the Nazir of our Sidra, this, this difference is actually used as grounds for a halachic status that's categorically referred to as a Nazir Shimshon effectively Nazir for life. This is not to be mistaken with the Nazir Olam. Right? If you go back and learn uh, Masechus Nazir, which um, we, we finished in Dafyomi a couple of Masechus ago. Right now, Dafyomi cycles up to Gitin. Most recently, we finished Sota. Sota and Nazir are juxtaposed, so we've recently did Sota and Nazir. And there are two different kinds of, there, there are a few different kinds of Nazir, I should say. One is a Nazir Olam, one is a Nazir Shimshon. Look at the Gemara there to, to, to note the differences between the two. Or you can go back to our Who Knows series where we spoke about who knows 10 different examples of real life Nazirim in Tanakh or in Shas, in our Masora, actual cases of Nazir. Shimshon, although he was the most famous, he was not the only one. So you can take a look back for, for that. Maybe I'll leave the link to that share um, posted in the, in the description for this one. But again, there are different kinds of Nazirim. Shimshon is a, is, is, is a Nazir Shimshon. Literally, he is referred to as a Nazir Shimshon based on the story of Shimshon himself. Now, when we think about the Nazir of Parshish Nasser, we associate Nazir with this voluntary surge of inspiration to elevate oneself in Kedusha, to get closer to Hashem. It's a beautiful concept. However, there is a question of whether or not it's appropriate, right? Whether voluntarily becoming a Nazir is a good idea or even halakhically appropriate. That's a separate discussion and conversation entirely. But the point is that Nasser is dealing with the personal pledge for that added holiness. A guy says, hey, I want to become a Nazir. 
But Shimshon, on the other hand, made no such pledge. In fact, it was hardly his mother who entered him into this contract, which halakhically there is such a case of a parent possibly entering a child into Naziris. But in this case, it wasn't even that. It was an angel of Hashem himself who did so. Shimshon's mother was otherwise barren. Hashem obviously decided that for better or for worse, that she was going to conceive a Nazir. And the next judge of the Bnei Yisrael was going to be a Nazir without a question. So obviously that's what Hashem had wanted. But the question is, why was that necessary? Why did Shimshon have to be conceived as a Nazir? Now, in order to understand Shimshon's unique Nazir status and perhaps the fundamental connection between the story of Shimshon's conception and our Parsha, Parsha's Naso, perhaps we should first try to understand the concept of Nazir as it's presented in our Parsha. So what is the point of, of Nazir? We explained that the point of the Nazir is to take on Kedusha. It takes on holiness to get closer to Hashem. Now, while Kedusha is commendable and often a crucial thing to aspire to and even to charge oneself towards, we also understand that Nazir is by no means a mandatory commandment. And again, even if it's halakhically permissible to take the vow of Naziris, is a question in and of itself. That being the case, when, is, when exactly is Naziris reserved for? Under what circumstance should one become a Nazir? So this, Chazal point out, is the basis of the connection, the juxtaposition between Nazir and the Parsha of Sota, right, the wayward wife, which is apparently that the two paragraphs in the Torah discussing Sota and Nazir are right next to each other to teach us that one who witnesses the degradation of the Sota should himself abstain from wine, by becoming a Nazir, because, as Rashi points out from Chazal, wine brings a person to levity. Levity is a precursor to all sin, such as adultery, which was what the Sota prospectively had committed. And the point is that Nazir, understood in this way, is not exactly an ideal kind of Kedusha to attain for just a regular person, but it's necessary for desperate times. For example, to regain spiritual homeostasis, if you will, a spiritual balance, to bring oneself back from the spiritual extreme of levity and sinful thinking. Sometimes one needs to commit to a streak of complete spiritual and physiological sobriety at the opposite spiritual extreme so that one can get back to that safe middle ground. And in a similar vein, we once mentioned that uh, once we've... uh, spent the entire year racking up sins in Averos, we need a day of jumping to the opposite extreme, going to complete holiness and fasting like we have on Yom Kippur, where there we can regain our spiritual balance. And perhaps we can understand Nazir in a similar vein. So in this light, we could suggest that maybe the Bnei Israel as a nation were facing a very desperate time when they were under the dominion of the Plishtim. After all, the Navi tells us that Hashem gave them over to the Plishtim because they continued their sinful ways, engaging in Avodah Zarah. Certainly in the age of the Shoftim, idolatry was particularly popular, even among the Bnei Israel. And like a Sota to her husband, the Bnei Israel violated its commitment to Hashem, and therefore the spiritual equilibrium was definitely lost. So perhaps the nation desperately needed an intense level of Kedusha, and perhaps that is why Hashem said a new Shofi needed to be sent to the world, one born in pure Kedusha, to enable the Bnei Israel to regain that spiritual equilibrium. But the question is, why is Naziris so controversial that it is reserved only for such desperate times? Why isn't Nazir an ideal that one should strive for? Whether or not, for example, he has seen a Sota, or he is engaging in Averis. And this is where I believe the larger theme of Parshas Naso can come in and how we could find it in our Haftarah a little bit more. Naso at large is a Sidra about Kedusha. 
how is Kedusha divided, how it can be attained, how it can be disgraced. And this, in this conversation about Kedusha, we have to note that the Torah is not telling us not to volunteer, to actively live holier lives, but it is perhaps telling us, though, that the elevated levels of intrinsic Kedusha come not just with great responsibility, but with precarious spiritual accountability. And not just that you have something that you need to do now, but if you don't keep to it, chas v'shalem, something bad could happen. For example, there's a difference between doing holy things and pledging to mandatorily make oneself a categorically holier person. The first of these two is commendable, but the second we might say is dangerous, maybe even foolish. Kedusha is not a joke. There's a reason why, in general, intrinsic Kedusha is only allotted by Hashem himself. Hashem chose to make some people holier. For example, some people were chosen to be Kohanim. Some people chosen to be Levian. And even within Kohanim and Levian, guess what? There are different levels, different gradations of Kedusha, which Hashem himself divided. A Kohen is not quite as holy as a Kohen Gadol. Moreover, Parshish Nasa separates between the different assignments of the Levian. For example, Kahas versus those of Gershon and Merari. Because for Kahas, for whatever reason, Hashem had chosen to give the holier avoda of carrying the clay kodesh, the holy vessels of the Mishkan, so much holier is the avoda of Kahas that the Torah tells us at the end of Parshish Bamidbar that should Kahas mess up in the way they carry the holy vessels and even look at them the wrong way, they could actually die for it. The Nazir is perhaps the only technical exception to these rules. It breaks all the rules of Kedusha, as it allows an ordinary person to voluntarily skyrocket from the standard Kedusha Sisral to a Kedusha that equals that of a Kohen Gadol. And that's why Naziris is really not such a simple subject at all. Mandatory Kedusha is risky enough to handle. Conceptually, voluntary Kedusha is a choice to play with fire. And as we'll elaborate, beyond simple Naziris, the gravity of intrinsic Kedusha is what I believe this Haftarah is really teaching us about. All of the above might really explain Manoach's wonder and even his skepticism, and we might even add his fear over the encounter between his wife and the Malach. From what he was being told, he would have a child who would have Kedusha superimposed on him from his conception. And he and his wife would have to conceive and raise this child as a Nazir for life. That's no small deal. And only true prophecy from God himself would confirm such a wild notion, a notion that Menoch was not sure he could believe until he saw it with his own eyes. And once it was all confirmed, Menoch was sure that he would die. Why was Menoch worried about death? Simply speaking, we might suggest that because he was shocked at seeing an angel go up in flames, maybe that, that that's something to make you afraid. But perhaps more fundamentally, Menoch was shuddering at the thought of the intense level of Kedusha that was in his midst, confirmed by an angel of Hashem himself. Kohanim and Levim who mess up the Avodah can die for it. It's a frightening thought. So what are we supposed to take away from this Haftarah as Hashem's Am Kadosh, his holy nation? So among us there are Kohanim, Levim, Yisraelim, all hoping to attain Kedusha through our actions. Some of us though, like Shimshon, have less of a choice as to how much Kedusha we must live with. As per some of our, our intrinsic holy levels. If you're a Kohen, I'm not a Kohen, but if you would be a Kohen, use the wrong way, Kedusha could kill you. Chas v'shalem. However, we have to have the attitude of Menach's wife, who basically reassures her husband that if this is the level of Kedusha that Hashem has decided to bestow upon us, then instead of shuddering in fear, 
the only real solution, the only real response is to do as Hashem says and deal with the holy matter properly, right? Sof Tavar Kol Nishma to quote Kohelis, right? Listen, life is what it is with its difficulties, but your job is to serve Hashem and with whatever level Kedusha Hashem said, right? That That's it. And the same should be true for us as we relate to the Kedusha in our own lives. Because while there are plenty of opportunities for voluntary involvement in Kedusha, in many ways we too are, in our own ways, we are all NFLs. You know, we are all in a certain sense in Azirim for life because we all have, to a degree, we have a great spiritual accountability. We should be afraid of the Kedusha that we have. However, if we follow Hashem's instructions, we, we need not freeze in fear. If we live up to our intrinsic Kedusha, we will be able to enjoy the benefits of both security and closeness to Hashem with all those elevated levels of Kedusha. And we should be Zoha to live up to, um, to treat all of the matters of Kedusha with the utmost care, treat it with Kedusha, properly live up to our intrinsic Kedusha, and we should be able to enjoy both the security and closeness to Hashem through that Kedusha. And Hashem should rest His holy presence among us for eternity, the coming of Mashiach and the Gula and the Herapimenu. And of course, if you enjoyed this share, another like on the, on the podcast, you want to partner with us with the sponsorship, or if you have questions, comments, concerns, recommendations, or you want to join the database podcast WhatsApp group, where you can find links to every uploaded share or links to Shiram that I repost due to their relevance, then all you have to do is reach out to me at the database at gmail.com. That's the data then base, B-E-I-S at gmail.com. But until next time, have an absolutely wonderful Shabbos, and thank you for joining us here at the database.